Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and then in defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles or your Philippians journal to the text that Will just read for us. It's verses three to eight of Philippians chapter one. By the way, if you've not picked up one of these, I hope you will this morning. Uh, this is yours to keep throughout the whole series. Write your name in it, and you might even want to put a phone number too, but, but at least write your name in it so if you leave it behind, we can find it. We purchased one of these for each of you to use during this series, but we didn't purchase enough for us all to get a new one every week. So we do want to try to keep up with these as much as possible. I love it because the format allows you to take lots of notes if you're a note taker. If you're a doodler or you journal or these kinds of things, there's plenty of space to do that on the right-hand side of the page. It's really going to work well. Lloyd and I, throughout this series, will be marking up the text. You can follow along with us. We'll be doing that on an iPad up here. It'll show up on the screen. So you're welcome to do that. And then this becomes something that you'll always have, that when you want to revisit Philippians someday or you want to remember, you're going to have the sermon notes, you're going to have the text. And going to be right here with you. So we're excited that we get to do this. Well, Jody and I are in the middle of a project right now that we decided to do in the spring because we thought this would be the perfect time to remodel some attic space that we have, to finish some attic space. And of course, it wasn't the perfect time. That's what everybody's doing right now. So labor is hard to find, you know, contractors are hard to find. Then there's all the supply chain issues. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You're in this line of work. Then there's COVID. I mean, it's been a real challenge to do this kind of work. And many of you are right in that same thing. So we, we decided back in March or April, we found a contractor. He started in May and he said, four to six weeks. <laughs> Here we are in August and, and we're still in the middle of this. In fact, I've started calling it the messy middle and by the way, the contractor does not go to this church, so I can talk about him, right? <laughs> no, he's done a good job, and it's been a very challenging time for, I know many of you are in that line of work, and you understand, but let me just kind of give you some, some uh, progress report here. The floor looks great, but there's no trim yet. The shower is tiled, but there's no shower door. The walls are painted beautifully, but styrofoam panels cover the openings where doors will one day be. And then just this week, we got an email from our HOA in our neighborhood, very kindly asking, just wondering when the dumpster and porta john will be removed. <laughs> Did I mention we have a porta john in our driveway for the last 90 days? As I was thinking about this, I thought, this messy middle is a good metaphor for my life right now. It's exactly how I'm feeling. And it feels like every part of my life right now, I'm somewhere between where I was and what I wish, where I wish I was. Jody and I are really struggling right now in parenting. 
we've got two teenagers and one tween, you know, all girls. I remember when we had these girls as babies, the, the folks were like, okay, well, the, the boys are harder when they're young, and then the girls are harder when they're older. And I thought, not my girls. I'm a pastor. I've read parenting books. I've gone to workshops and I go to counseling. My girls are going to be great. And here we are. And I am not afraid to tell you all, it's, it's not good. I mean, and I, it is funny in a way, but it's not funny in a way. We, we just took a trip to Atlanta this weekend. Jody's grandma passed away, 97 years old, which is a wonderful uh, service that we had for her. And there were some moments on this trip where I'm telling you all, if any of you were a fly on the wall, I would have been ashamed. And not, I'm not ashamed of my daughters, but just, but, but sort of ashamed that, that how is it that our family is operating this way? Like what went wrong? <laughs> and I know by the giggles that some of you identify with what I'm talking about. We're, we're just in the messy middle of parenting, teenage years. It's hard. I think about COVID. We're in the messy middle of this thing. Month and a half, two months ago, man, it just felt like, ah, oh, praise God, this thing's ending. And now it's just, it's just back. It, we're in the messy middle. What are we gonna do about it? We're praying, we're talking, pray with us. I'm in the messy middle of my own growth. I've kept prayer journals since I was in high school. And every now and then I'll go back and read them. And, and I was reading some from my 20s in now, I remember what it was like to be a 20-something, growing in my faith, imagining when I'm in my mid-40s, I'd have things figured out. And here I am, and I'm struggling. I feel like in many ways, for me anyway, it's, it's been a step backward in recent months, just honestly. And I started thinking about this in this context. Maybe all the most important things in life are always going to feel this way. That's not what I want, but maybe that's true. Today's passage offers hope to me and anyone who finds yourself this morning in the messy middle in any area of your life. If you identify with that, there's something here in this passage for you this morning. Let's dive into it. We're going to start in verse 3. We're going to go all the way down to verse 8, but we're going to take it just a verse or two at a time and dig in. Verse 3, Philippians 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's a little bit of a confusing sentence, isn't it? And by the way, part of that is because the translators of the ESV uh, translate the, the plural you as you all. They're not so Southern as us. So we get you all in there. Now, it's actually helpful, even though it's a bit clumsy, because most English translations just say you. And so you immediately think, oh, he's talking about me personally. Usually when you see a you in the New Testament letters, it's talking about the collection of people. In this case, the Christians at Philippi. So you have a little bit of clumsiness there. But then it's just, it's a weirdly constructed sentence. Now, when you look at it in the Greek, it's even messier. Paul had a tendency to write these long run-on sentences, and there was no punctuation in Koine Greek. 
So it's up to our English translators now to make sense of what goes with what and you know what the antecedent is pointing to and all these things that, that uh, will take you back to grammar school. Let me simplify this for you. If you really just want to break down this sentence, this verse here or these two verses, what you have here is you have a main clause at the beginning, I thank my God. I mean, that's all you need in a sentence, right? It's got a subject, it's got a predicate, it's got an object. Everything that follows here is essentially modifying that idea. In all my remembrance, always in every prayer, he's saying, you know, in what context he thanks his God. So all the way here to the end of verse four. Now, the beginning of verse five, you have another clause, and this is what we would call a purpose clause. You see that word because. So why does Paul thank God? Because of your partnership in the gospel. And then some more modifier from the first day until now. So if you really want to just simplify what Paul is saying, just look at what's underlined. I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel. Let's talk about partnership in the gospel. It's a big deal in Philippians. It's a theme in Philippians. And Paul starts this letter off right away talking about it. So we need to understand what it means. Here's what's going on historically. Paul had planted this church about 10 years before this letter was written. If you were here last week, Lloyd did a great job with this introduction to our book of Philippians. He told some of the story from Acts chapter 16 of how this church got started. It's a fantastic story. Go back last week and listen and, and read Acts 16 to get that context. Paul then moved on to plant other churches all over the Mediterranean. And now Paul's in prison because of his evangelizing. And so what the church at Philippi had done is even after he left them, they kept giving him financial gifts. They kept supporting him. They were a partner with him. Not that differently than how we support partners all over the world. And so I want to show you in chapter four, you can just flip over a few pages to chapter four, verse 15. This will give you some specific context to the kind of partnership that this church had with Paul, the evangelist. Chapter four, I'll read 15 to 19. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Macedonia is the reason where they are, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When you were imprisoned in Paul's world, they didn't give you food and water and clothing. You were dependent upon family members and friends or, or anyone that would have mercy on you. And so likely what happened with Paul, he could have been imprisoned in one of two locations. We're not sure where is most likely Rome, but it's possible it was Ephesus. But let's say he was in Rome, which I think is most likely the case. Timothy, his 
partner that traveled with him, the younger pastor Timothy, probably would have gotten a job in Rome to, to make a little bit of money to meet Timothy's needs and Paul's needs in prison. So then all of a sudden, this guy named Epaphroditus, who is a member of the Philippian church, shows up with a gift. And now Paul is writing this letter in gratitude and thanks for the gift that he's received in this long-standing 10-year partnership that he has had with the Philippians. This reminds me of some of our partnerships, some that we heard from last week. We heard from Rosemary. We heard from Jonathan. We heard from others. And they're just thanking us for the gift. We have something that they don't have that they need. And there's a partnership there that's created by this giving and receiving. Let me show you really briefly a map of how far away this was. You kind of see the Mediterranean Sea. You know, you've got Jerusalem way over here, but where the action is taking place in this letter. So Philippi was the church that Paul had started. Um, by the way, when that church was planted, it was the first church in Europe. It's very significant. Paul's likely over here in Rome. Possible he was here in Ephesus. But either place, it's a long way. And so what, what, ha what had to happen was Travel, which is never easy, but especially back then, probably by sea, you know, all the way around to Rome to bring this gift to Paul. There was no like, you know, wiring money back and forth or Venmo or anything like that, obviously. So Epaphroditus shows up with this gift. By the way, we'll learn later in the book, Epaphroditus almost dies on this mission. And then Paul sends him back to his home church with this letter. Back all the way, storms, you know, all these things, preserving this letter for the church and so that we could read it and have it today. So it's quite a gift of grace that we're holding this letter in our hands. And Paul's grateful for their partnership. Now notice it's not just a partnership, it's a partnership in the gospel. That's what the text says. Gospel is a huge deal to Paul. If you know anything about Paul, you know there's nothing more important, more exciting more worthy of giving your life to, in Paul's mind, than the gospel. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion, or euangelion, it simply means good news. It doesn't have to always apply just to Jesus. There's good news, some military victory, good news of a new ruler in Rome, etc. They'd send out the proclamation. So if you are gospeling, or you're evangelizing, you're engelling, so to speak, you are proclaiming the news about Jesus. I thought it would be helpful for us to mark in Philippians as we go every place where the gospel shows up. So here's a little marking we're going to use every time we get to gospel. You can see on the screen uh, an image of the book that you hold in your hands. Uh, you see the gospel in two different places in our text uh, this morning. The first is right here in the, in the text that we just read, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. So if you want to follow along, you just draw a cross with a circle around it, and that'll kind of be our symbol for the gospel. We're going to see that nine times throughout this book. There's another one down here at the end of verse 7, the gospel. So there's another cross with a circle. Nine times in Philippians, Paul mentions the gospel specifically. To give you some context, the only other of Paul's letters that has that many direct mentions to the gospel is Romans, which is four times as long as Philippians. So if you're thinking about it on a per word or per verse rate, this is the most. 
that Paul talks about the gospel. It is a big deal. What does it mean? I've explained it's good news about Jesus. Specifically, it's the person and work of Jesus. Even more specifically, he lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserved. He was raised from the grave so that we can follow him into new life. This is the message of the gospel. This is what Paul was so passionate about. The gospel is the hope of the world. And it's so closely associated with Jesus. Sure, you may find good news every now and then in other contexts. But if you think about it on the big picture, it's always lowercase letters, good news. This is the uppercase letters, good news. This is the good news that you hear and you believe and it changes your eternity in that moment. This is the good news that can change you, transform you from despair about your circumstances to hope that everything's gonna be all right because Jesus is gonna finish what he started. And so we're gonna mark places where we see the gospel. We're also gonna mark places where we see references to Jesus. The two obviously go hand in hand. As you can imagine, there are many. Let's just use a little cross every time we see the words Christ or Jesus. We'll go back to Lloyd's text last week to get our first two, in, in our first two or three. In, in verse one, you have Christ Jesus there. Oop, I missed one up top. Two references in the first verse. Then you have another one in verse two. And going down to our text this morning, you've got more instances. We've got one in verse six the day of Jesus Christ, and then we have one in verse eight, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. 39 references in the book of Philippians. There are only 104 verses. That's an average of a mention of Jesus directly every two and a half verses. I got to thinking about this, I thought... If you figure one sentence per verse, roughly, Paul was speaking, writing perhaps, the name of Jesus every two and a half sentences. And I thought, I would love for that to be true of me, that I would speak the name of Jesus an average of every two and a half sentences. Here's a point of application for us from these first three verses. Our partnership in the gospel is what binds us together too. It binds us together as a body. It binds us together with any other believer in the world. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to pray this morning for what's happening in Afghanistan and Haiti and other places. It's one of the reasons we have these partnerships all over the world. We're bound together. What are we bound together by? We're bound together by our partnership in the gospel. We exist as a church, this church right here. We exist because of our common commitment to the vision of the gospel. This gathering this morning is not a gathering of moral religious people who share a common values or, or uh, gravitate toward the same style of teaching or the same style of music. We are a community of followers of Jesus united by the gospel, committed to the gospel. Here's why I go down that path for just a minute. 
you may not know this, but there are scores of churches just like ours that are being fractured and fragmented from within right now. It is rampant. I'm reading about it every week. Lloyd and I are talking about it. Our elders are talking about it. What's going on out there? The, the, the division inside the church is something that we haven't seen in quite a long time. And, and there is so much that can divide us, so we must rally around Jesus. And we must unite around the good news. So our partnership in the gospel is what binds us together. So here's how we say it at Fellowship Bible Church in Middle Tennessee. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. That's a gospel mission. And by the way, helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus is not what we do up here for you all. I mean, I hope you're growing. I hope you're finding life in Jesus as well. It's what we do collectively for the community in the world, helping people find life. And it's gotta be in Jesus because there's no real life apart from Jesus. Let's keep moving on to our next section, just verse six, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is one of those coffee cup verses in Philippians. You'll know what I'm talking about, the verses that you might see in a coffee cup somewhere or maybe a t-shirt or you know, reference on a bumper sticker, maybe like even on an athlete, you might see it on their headband or something like that. Philippians 1.6 is one of those. And, and I don't really mean that in a derogatory way, but I will say sometimes when you rip these verses out of context and put them on a cup, they lose the depth of their meaning. So you don't have to throw out your coffee cup, but let me give you some context. The so next time when you drink your coffee from that cup, it'll have more significance to you. In 10 years since Paul had started this church, a lot had happened. The excitement and energy of the church planting stage had worn off. There had been persecution. Church members had died from it. There was doctrinal debate. People came, people left, the church grew, the church shrunk. In other words, the church at Philippi was in the messy middle. So I imagine when Epaphroditus arrived in Rome to visit Paul and he gives him the gift, there just would have been this incredible explosion of, of still great to see you again. I've missed you so much. And then pretty quickly there would have been, how is everybody? And how is so-and-so doing? How are the elders doing back there at that church? How, how is this? How are that? And I'm sure Epaphroditus had a lot of good things to say. In fact, this is an encouraging tone overall in the letter, so we know there was a lot of good reports that Paul got. But there were some things that were not good. Epaphroditus apparently shared with Paul not just the good, but also the bad and the ugly. Because Paul responds to some of it in the letter. Let me give you just one example. Again, turn to chapter four. We'll look at verses two and three of chapter four. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, who were these women? They were members of the church. This was not a huge church, guys. No church back then was huge at this point in time. So these were significant individuals, likely influencers and leaders in this body, and whatever disagreement they had was causing a problem. And so Epaphroditus would have shared this with Paul, and Paul cared about it enough to specifically mention it in this letter that we're still reading. You know, thousands of years later, I kind of feel bad for these women. You know, their laundry is just kind of like aired out there in public. It's like, agree in the Lord, doggone it, is what Paul is essentially saying. Here's, here's the big idea. Whatever this dispute was, Paul's saying, it is not worth breaking their unity in the gospel. I entreat them. So back now to our coffee cup verse here. Paul knows the mess. He knows everything that they're dealing with. And he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how encouraging it was for this church in whatever they were struggling with and suffering with at that moment? In my imagination, I imagine, imagine Epaphrodites showing back up in Philippi in the middle of a funeral service, maybe in the middle of one of these arguments, maybe in the middle of a debate on, on that, that elder group of a really big decision with massive consequences, and he shows up with this letter from Paul, and one of the things they hear at the very beginning is, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Paul is saying Jesus did not start that work without planning to finish it. And by the way, he's saying it is Jesus's work, not your work. Did you catch that? Notice when Paul says the work in them will be completed. At the day of Jesus Christ. It's a reference to his second coming. In a sense, everything between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is the messy middle. I want to apply this in two different directions. To us as a union, a corporate body, a church, and then to you individually as a follower of Jesus. First, to us as a church, we are in the messy middle right now. We're 23 years old. We've been through some deep waters in two decades at Fellowship. And we're very open with our story. Lloyd and I taught a message together going on a couple of years uh, ago. We had a big whiteboard up here, and we literally drew a graph. It's like, here are the good times, here are the bad times. Here's where we made mistakes. You know, by God's grace, here's where he's intervened. This is our story. We're in the messy middle. And I'd say, praise God when you see amazing things happen, like what we celebrated last week, you know, with the response to the generosity of, of this body. Praise God. 
oftentimes I think God's doing amazing things in spite of us, <laughs> more, more than because of us. And remember, it's his work, not ours. I also know being a member of a church is hard. There will be other members here that are hard to get along with. There might be decisions made here that you don't love. The music might be a little too loud for some or too soft for others or the wrong style or not enough of the radio or too many original songs or where are the hymns, you know, This is what it looks like to have a partnership in the gospel. We will be in the messy middle together until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's our reality. And one of the beautiful things about this little letter is, is Paul's going to name the mess and he's going to call him to joy in the mess. These are some of the themes that we're going to find together as we walk through this text. Now, let's apply this to you as an individual Christian. Life is hard. At 45, I know for me, I could say, it's harder at 45 than I thought it'd be. Following Jesus is hard. I don't want to do it most days. I think I literally, I think that's literally true, most. I don't want to do it. Let me tell you something encouraging. The fact you're sitting in this room right now or watching online right now is evidence of the work of God in you. You might not be conscious of it. It may just felt like, well, I just decided to come to church or this is just what I do. God has nothing to do with it. Oh, no. It's evidence of God at work in you. And once he has started something in your heart, even if it's just a little bitty small start of a thing, he will bring it to completion. So your life might look like a total mess right now, but he has you right on schedule. And it may not feel like that for you at all. But he will show you over time, it is not your work, it is his work and he will finish it. So breathe a little bit. Don't let the mess overwhelm you because Jesus is in it and he will finish what he started. Let's finish our text with these last two verses. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This is remarkable language. If you read all the letters of Paul back to back, you're not going to hear anything like this toward the other churches. 
Philippi has a special place in Paul's heart. I mean, he literally says it. I hold you in my heart. And then listen to that. God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is love incarnate. And Paul's saying the affection, the love of Christ Jesus overflows through me toward you. So the significance of these verses in the context of the whole letter is they illuminate for us Paul's unique relationship with this church. Why does that matter? Because everything he says to them in the rest of the letter is rooted in this affection. Think about how you communicate with someone when you have a really good relationship with them. You're for them. You're encouraging them. You speak life into them. You're also honest. If there's something that needs to be said, you say it. If you've got a great relationship with someone, you don't dance around too much hurting their feelings. You say, I love you, and so I'm going to tell you. You tell them what they need to hear. You're motivated by love. And so you speak the truth to them. Now, what does this mean for us? We're not receiving this letter from Paul, are we? Paul didn't know us. He didn't even know our continent existed. But the spirit who authored this text through Paul knows us. And so what we believe here at Fellowship about God's word is, yes, these letters and books were written by actual people, human authors, but they were being carried along by the Spirit. And yes, they, they have their unique personalities in them. They have their unique historical moment in time, but they're also being inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's a dual authorship going on here. And so this is why this is so significant. When we read God's word today, when we study God's word today, what we believe is God is able to speak to us from it, which is why we call it the word of God. Think about it this way, and I can't take long, but I love talking about this. The spirit of Christ in Paul stirred his affections for the Philippian believers as he wrote this letter, knowing that you and I would read this letter in 2021 and hear the voice of the Spirit speaking through it, whose heart is filled with affection for you. So when you hear this verse, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus, hear these words as the words of the Holy Spirit speaking through the text to you. God yearns for you and loves you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And so as you hear all the words in this letter over the next five months, hear them as the words of the Spirit speaking to you because that's what they are. This is why when we read scripture every week, we say this is, is the living word of God for us today. Each week, as Lloyd and I teach through this series, we're going to end by putting a slide on the screen with some application 
just, just to get as practical as we possibly can. And we're putting it under the banner of an invitation to joy because that's what this letter is. And so this morning's invitation to joy will be on the screen. Identify one place in your life where you're in the messy middle. Ask God to show you a glimpse this week of how he is at work right there. This is something you can literally do. If you're like me, you're gonna have a hard time choosing just one. But choose one. And here's why I want you to choose one. Sometimes we don't pray specific prayers enough. We pray prayers that are too general. Just like, God, you know, you know just help. You know, by the way, that's not a terrible prayer. I think that's the most basic prayer a human being can have. But, but God commands us to pray specific prayers. And the reason for that is you're stretching your faith to ask for something specific. And you're honoring God because you're telling him, I believe that you can and will do this. And so I, I wrote this in a way that I want it to be specific. Choose one place in your life and then ask God. This is a big request, right? God, show me a glimpse this week of how you are at work in the middle of a mess. So we're gonna invite you to do this this week. And there's one more way this morning that we're gonna respond to our text. In fact, I'm going to introduce this to you today and we'll be doing it probably every week or almost every week of the series is we're going to take a portion of Philippians chapter two and we're going to all speak it together. We did this in our study of Colossians. We had our Colossians creed that grounded us in who Jesus was. There's a similar passage in Philippians that reminds us who Jesus is and what he did for us. And we need to cling on to that and believe it and hear one another's voices proclaiming it. So I want to ask you to stand, and I'll lead you in this. If you're curious where this comes from, it's Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. And I'll lead us, and I invite you to speak it together in unity, corporately, as a body. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.